0: Our first scripture reading comes to us from 2 Corinthians chapter 13. It's the final greetings in this two-part letter. Let us listen to the word of God. Finally, brothers and sisters, farewell. Put things in order. Listen to my appeal. Agree with one another. Live in peace and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. Grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us listen to the word of God. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and the name of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My aunt was at her father's bedside as he was dying, and he said something to her that she'll never forget. I love you. Now, at first, this isn't incredibly surprising, because that's what people say. But for her, this wasn't a common phrase she'd heard from him. In fact, she didn't know if she could ever remember him saying these words, ever. She knew he cared about her and that he loved his family, but he was a man who didn't express his feelings, at least in words. He waited until he was at his deathbed. If he was going to save any last words to share with his daughter, I love you mattered more than any other words now similarly in our scripture reading today we come to the very end of matthew jesus has died and he's come back to life and now he's sending his disciples off all these years of disciple making have led to this very moment knowing that one day he would hand things off to these apostles Today, before he departs, he leaves them with a powerful command, one that still speaks to us as disciples of Christ. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Now, the disciples know very well sharing the good news of Christ is very controversial, because they witnessed firsthand how it nailed Jesus to the cross. It even says that some of the disciples were a bit apprehensive today. In verse 18, even after seeing Jesus in their midst on the mountaintop, some still doubted. They had every right to be anxious about this next phase, because they were on their own, without Jesus physically present with them. So it's, In these last words that Jesus reassures his disciples. And remember, I am with you always. The very end of the age. According to tradition, we know many apostles faced prison or were crucified, willing to risk everything to share the good news of Christ. And the only one who died a natural death was John, and his life still was filled with lots of risk. Last words Jesus spoke to them gave the apostles confidence and assurance to boldly share Christ's message, no matter the obstacles they were about to face. Much like my aunt being reassured by her father's love, I'm sure the disciples held these words close to their heart. Thomas Merton once wrote, I wonder if there are 20 people alive in the world now, who see things as they really are. That would mean that there were 20 people who were free, who were not dominated or even influenced by any attachment to any created thing or to their own selves or to any gift of God. These 20, they are the ones who are holding everything together and keeping the universe from falling apart last words in Matthew should give us reassurance to be like these 20, to risk everything. And yet it's very difficult to be set free in the face of adversity, isn't it? We still cling to our culture, to comfort, to our things, our possessions. Most of us as human beings, this is what we do except, of course, these fabulous uh, 20 and extraordinary people. Just like the disciples worshiping Christ on a mountaintop filled with doubt, we, except for the 20 alive in the world today who are free, cling to the things of this world. We cling to our comfort and the status quo, to the shifting tides of power. We even cling to the church and our political views money and our jobs. We cling to quick fixes, putting family above everything else, shopping, addictions. We cling to education and status, and even to fear and anxiety. As human beings, whether we follow Christ or not, most everyone in our world, pastors included, aren't Free. Even when Jesus Christ gives us this great commission to go out into the world, to make disciples of all nations, to teach Christ's commandments, reassuring us that we'll never be alone, somehow we're still imprisoned and unwilling to risk everything. Yesterday, I turned 40. I honestly look forward to each year I age. I'm the guy at the restaurant who loves it when they announce my birthday, and yes, I love the attention. Now, I wanted one of those black balloons, over-the-hill kind of birthdays, just like my dad did and rolled with it. I was ready for it, but it just wasn't in the cards this year. Last week, someone gifted me a book by a seminary professor who marked his 40th year by taking... 40 walks in a nature reserve, exploring the inevitability of death, the reality of his changing faith, and his changing sense of self. As I enter middle age, it's propelled me to go deeper spiritually through reading this book. And I wonder, what do I cling to? What holds me back? I literally have a pulpit to preach from. But there are many times when I shy away from difficult subjects, many times when I'm unwilling to risk everything, including my job, my financial security, my peacekeeping nature. Notice I didn't say peacemaking. Why am I not always free to preach the good news of Christ at any cost? I don't know how many of you ever watched the movie The Matrix. Neo, the main character, is given a choice of knowledge to learn the unpresent truth to, or to stay in blissful ignorance. The choice is shown by another character holding a red pill in one hand and a blue pill in the other, and Neo ends up taking the red pill of knowledge, and it turns his world upside down. Now, about a year ago, I read a book called Waking Up White by Debbie Irving. And after reading it, I woke. No longer to blissful ignorance, I had taken the red pill of unpleasant truth and discovered that I'm part of the problem of racial injustice. Every time I brought it up in a conversation, people became very defensive, I noticed, I discovered that systemic racism and mass incarceration are very charged and unnerving words for most people. I still kept reading and watching more things about racial injustice, and I knew, I knew I had to do something. I wondered, what what could be helpful? How could I bring my congregation into the fold? How could I teach something that's so divisive in a 12-minute sermon? I kept racking my brain, trying to unwrap this unpleasant truth. After reading about mass incarceration and the broken judicial system, I figured out the most impactful, lasting change would probably have to be with children. And I also figured out the only way to get buy-in, it must include a partnership. But, but, because why would anyone with pigment in their skin trust a privileged white man like me? Because I sure wouldn't. When and how could I ever move the needle without making folks in our church very defensive, very hurt, very angry? And the truth is, even after I learned and contemplated and prayed about it, to call everyone a good white racist, which is the jarring title of Carrie Connolly's book, it means this. A good white racist is, number one, a well-intentioned person of European descent who is nonetheless complicit in a culture of systemic racism. And number two, a white person who would rather stay comfortable than do the work of anti-racism. I ended up living into this definition. I took the red pill of knowledge, and then I got distracted doing a a zillion other important things in ministry. I'd go to a conference and read a new book or watch another movie and wonder again, how could I weave these words so delicately and powerfully to strike a nerve, to change this broken system that we live in without offending or ticking off everyone? It's true. I mostly just chickened out. But things are changing today. Our country can't breathe. It can't breathe like this for very much longer. There's no convincing people today that there's this systemic racism. We see it. We're part of it. And we must repent of our brokenness. Repent of the powers of this world that we cling to. For it's the only way to transformation and for God's kingdom of mercy and justice to unfold. And then after we repent, we must go out into the world, teach, living out Christ's commission, willing to risk everything, to share the good news of Christ. And as Hebrews 12, 1 says, to lay aside the sin that clings so closely Today, I'm one day over the hill, and I'm not afraid to claim that I'm a good white racist and to tell you, too, that you are. Today, I'm preaching from this pulpit, unafraid to share the truth of Christ, unwilling to shy away from Difficult subjects, willing to make you uncomfortable and willing to risk everything. Today, we're reminded by Christ that there's nothing to fear, that we'll never be alone, especially when we teach Christ's commandments to love God and to love our neighbors. And I hope you're willing to risk everything too, to hold me accountable because this freedom might not last for very long. I will start clinging to the ways of the world again, clinging. sin I'll get distracted I'll chicken out I need your encouragement just like you need mine to be willing to risk everything to live out Christ's great Commission we turn to the last verses of Matthew and instead of an ending we discover it marks a beginning for Christ's apostles to take that red pill of knowledge the unpleasant truth to be bold to be willing to risk everything. We too are still at the beginning of this process, still learning how to be free. For it's time to push that number of free men and women in our world way above 20. As we go out into this world, even though I've just entered midlife, I still have a lot to learn. I'm glad we're taking this risky journey together with Christ. Because that's what gives me hope every hour and every day. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: For more information about the First Presbyterian Church, Jacksonville, Illinois, you can write us a note at 870 West College. Jacksonville, Illinois, 62650, or call us at 217-245-4189. Our email is office at firstpresjax.org. That's office at f-i-r-s-t-p-r-e-s-j-a-x.org. Join us Sundays, at 10 a.m. for our live service. at our Facebook page, www.facebook.com slash First Look for the live link. Our website is www.firstpresjax.org. God bless and have a healthy, safe week.